Welcome to the CFX Connections podcast. CFX aims to educate and connect the people working in churches with those seeking to help them provide a better experience to their community. My name is Ellen Lampert-Greo, and I'll be hosting this month's podcast. I am the Creative Director for Live Design and LDI, an online publication and trade show for the entertainment design and technology industry, which also encompasses houses of worship, as they incorporate high-tech lighting, audio, and broadcast systems. Which brings us to the topic of today's podcast, Lighting Design for Beginners, with Duke DeJong and Van Metzke. Duke is the co-owner and president of Integration Advantage Pro. Over the past two-plus decades, his career has centered around the intersection of ministry and technology. Van is in charge of church relations and client solutions Advantage Pro. From touring sound to 20-plus years on various church technical staffs to 10 years-plus in the integration industry, he understands projects from both sides of the table. Both gentlemen co-host the Green Room podcast, and Van also hosts the Church Tech Profiles podcast. Welcome, Duke and Van. How are you guys doing today? We are doing good, I think. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's awesome. Anytime we can be on a podcast, we like to do that. So Good. So podcasts are us. Um, Tell us a little about your work in ministry. Um, Van, let's start with you. How did you uh, move over to work in the church environment? Um, I, I, uh, started doing tech in church actually in high school. And, um, I had a friend that had a band They got signed to a Christian record label. So I ended up touring with a bunch of Christian bands and then went into integration and live sound with a company here in Southern California where I'm located. And we did tons and tons of live events for everybody, not just churches, but we did everything from political events to, you know, everything, touring sound and all that kind of stuff, road shows and the whole shot. I did that for a and then one of our customers was a church called Saddleback Church here in Southern California. Um, and uh, they asked me to come on staff and be their head of audio. And they had just recently built their main building uh, at their main campus, and they wanted me to be in charge of that. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then I ended up being in full-time technical ministry for 20 years um, until Duke uh, we both, uh, he worked at a, another company, he was the vice president of another company at the time. He yanked me out of that and uh, brought me back into integration. And so that's that's the very short. <laughs> and he's been blaming me ever since. Very right. short, very short story. But yeah, I was, uh, yeah, uh, grew up, grew up, uh, grew up doing it and just did all kinds of, I've done a very uh, eclectic bunch of stuff in my career, so. Okay, great. And Duke, what about you? Uh, similar story, a little less travel. Uh, I got pulled in uh, as a teenager, um, mostly because my my mom sang in the vocal team at church, and I was one of the guys who was sitting in the back of the room while I wasn't on stage. So at some point, somebody had to turn things up and uh, put in all the cassette tapes and all those things. And so I, I started doing it there and quickly uh, enjoyed it, uh, worked my way into um, doing a bunch of concerts and uh, local festivals and production stuff ended up in radio, Christian radio for a couple of years. And, um, mm-hmm. all of that kind of landed me on staff at a church, um, in, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, uh, gosh, 22, some years ago, 20, 21 years ago, something like that. And so after about, uh, 10 years on staff at two different churches, um, I kind of made the transition from, um, really being the guy who serves in a church to being a guy who serves churches and just really helps equip them. So 
that's that's where I've been the last eleven years now. Is is in some way, shape, or form in some role, um, just helping churches find ways to use technology to reach more people and to that fits in a way that fits their culture, fits their personality, and and just kind of helps them be the best version of them. Right. So I imagine since all of us were kids in various houses of worship, the lighting projection, audio, everything that goes into it has changed quite a bit. Um, (laughs) Yes. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So lighting in itself is very complex, you know, art, science, technology. How would you each define the basic principles of lighting design? Well, I think, yeah, Um, for me, you know, I've gone through the whole thing. I mean, when we started out, you know, it was like, it was like a two scene, you know, 24, 48, Right. <laughs> you know, we just faders and two scenes and uh, pretty, pretty super basic. And all the way through, you know, the, the nineties and two thousands where I, Duke and I call it the splash and trash of, uh, era of lighting in church, you know, where you, you had to, you couldn't go five seconds without moving all the lights somewhere, um, you know, and shining in the audience's eyes and all that good stuff. And then now it's very, it's, to me, it's still having great equipment that does what you want, but using it in a more respectful, artful uh, form that creates mood, that moves the audience in a way that I think sound does as well, um, but is not uh, distracting. I think kind of, you know, it's, I would actually say, cause I do a lot of theater stuff on the side. And so I would say that church lighting to me what i've seen it be really good lately is that it's a lot more theatrical and a lot less uh rock and roll showy although there are churches that are still doing that but i think it's kind of moving towards that Mm -hmm. yeah i would say um you know the the two biggest things for me and i think this is where uh, most churches and really most venues of any kind need to start is you know really what is your purpose for lighting um you know, at, at, at the grandest scale, there's really kind of just a couple main reasons for lighting. One is to, you know, direct attention. Um, so, you know, if we're trying to engage an audience in a service, you know, who are those people we, we, and, and who are, who are the groups of people we want to keep focus on at different points of the service? And do we have the appropriate light to do that with, with, um, the other big one really historically has been to create environment. Um, that's where I think we've seen a lot of, um, uh, improvement, advancement, um, and a creativity over the last probably 15 years now, um, is the tools have gotten better to use, easier to use and more cost-effective. And I think, um, even just little websites like church stage design ideas.com, where people are just posting their, their stage looks, uh, for, for years on end now, um, have given so many more people this idea of how to create um, an engaging environment for, for your audience. So those are kind of the two big kind of overall themes of lighting design that I'm usually focused on. There is a third one and, and it's definitely kicked up a lot more so here in the last few years. And that of course too is uh, lighting for video. So, um, you know, you've got to make sure, obviously we've got a good coverage and good dimensionality for the camera as well. So, you know, with those three kind of overarching themes in mind, usually when I'm starting to talk to people about lighting design, I'm trying to figure out what what out of those categories are most important to them. What are they most aware of? 
Um, you know, most churches who are just starting out with lighting, they're, they're a lot more focused on trying to, you know, focus attention and maybe a, a video streaming, and they're not really thinking about environment a whole lot yet. Um, and so, you know, trying to figure out kind of what's important to them, what's important to their audience, um, and start to build um, not just an infrastructure, but also just kind of a, a basic fixture list of things that will help them really start to kind of learn and develop some success um, along the lines of those categories that they really need to be successful in. Right. So, you know, in today's market where most of the fixtures are LED, um, most of the fixtures um, are, you know, automated, uh, what do you tell people they need in their basic lighting design plot? And um, do they come to you for a basic install or upgrades or what are they looking for? Well, we get a little bit of everything. Um, I, I think, um, you know, as far as what do you need, again, a lot of that really comes down to, to vision and, and strategy and what it is you're trying to accomplish. I mean, there are very few churches who don't at the very least need a solid front wash. Um, and there are lots of good ways to accomplish that now, even with LED. I mean, it's, it's really only been in the last five, maybe eight years or so that we had more than LED park hands to use. Otherwise we were back to more traditional lipsoidals or Fresnels. Um, and, and we're at a point now where we've actually got great choices uh, of, of LED ellipsoidals. We've got great choices of LED Fresnels. Um, and we've still got, you know, tons of options for PARs as well. So, um, you know, for, for front lighting, especially, it's, I'm, I'm usually trying to get some kind of a good consistent wash for video um, when that's a, when that's a topic, um, or, um, and, or, uh, sometimes we have churches where, you know, they message may be heavy on video, but the, uh, the worship time, they kind of want to go more creative. And so that might be more of an ellipsoidal based front light with, you know, some strategic backlighting, um, to kind of be a little bit more silhouette. So again, there's a lot of strategy involved as to what kind of look and what kind of vibe a, a church is trying to create, whether they want more, kind of big and bright and consistent or whether they want kind of more of those um, design elements that introduce some shadows. Yeah, I think, I think the, I totally agree with Duke. The, I mean, basically what we tell churches is, uh, and I think this has really changed. I mean, one of the things, and you know, we don't need another, we don't, I don't think we all need another podcast where we talk about, you know, the COVID situation, but just, just because it did kind of, change a little bit the way a lot of churches thought about technology um, certainly did from an integrator point of view to where almost every church had to become a video venue uh, instantaneously we started talking to a lot of churches about wow our video looks terrible and so we you know quickly said well how's your lighting and so lighting became very married to the video process for all churches, whether they're very traditional or very, you know, progressive rock and roll, you know, modern. So, um, you know, the first thing, like, like Duke said, the first thing we try to do is do good, even front light and with some good basic backlight, that's where we start. And then everything kind of goes from there and then it will look good on video and it will look good in, you know, in the live situation as well. So we really try to talk to the churches about, well, what are you guys doing what are you guys doing with your cameras? What are you guys doing live? What are you doing on the internet? You know, so now there's a little bit broader question base that kind of has to happen. 
Yeah, but then it, it kind of gets wild from there because when you start getting into the what kind of environment are you trying to create, that's where I think we see the most deviation uh, from you know normal. Um, and, and it'd be really hard for us to say this is what we would expect to see um, because we have, I mean, even just this morning, I was at a church that their lighting needs are very simple. They're not trying to do a lot environment-wise with their lighting, you know, a little bit of color and, and <clears throat> good front light for people in the room and people on camera and life is good. Um, whereas we've got plenty of churches we work with that are the polar opposite where, I mean, we are literally designing their entire stage backdrop using lighting fixtures uh, with haze. And so, you know, they're not even doing any kind of sets there. It's really all designed by light. So mm -hmm. we see, we see that whole gamut. Um, and again, there's just, there's just such a, a vision um, discussion that happens kind of in leading up to kind of what's right for each church and what kind of culture and environment they're trying to set, um, that you can, you can really go pretty crazy with it or keep it really simple. And, uh, it's, it could be absolutely perfect for, for each and every church. It just depends. In addition to that sort of solid front light, what else are you recommending? We always talk about infrastructure in a building. So even if they can't do everything they want to do, um, you know, we try to get the basics in there uh, at the beginning so that things can be expanded. You know, that's like, that's a big thing that I always talk about with, right. with churches as we're going down this road and then whatever they end up doing, you know, although we have to have a plan. So we try real hard to get them to have a plan. Where do they want to go? What do they want to do eventually, even if they can't do it right away? Yeah, if we start with the end result in mind um, and really work towards kind of a master vision of what the end of it looks like, you know, if budget dictates kind of a phasing approach, that's fine. I mean, you get the lighting pipes up, you get power distribution up, you get DMX up. Um, you can add more fixtures down the road pretty easily at that point. Um, but without a solid infrastructure and appropriate amount of power in DMX distro, you're, you're kind of stuck. Um, so I think, I think Van's absolutely right. That's, that's probably one of the places that people, when they come into, especially if they're trying to convert a, an old lighting rig into a new led rig, that's one of the places they underestimate the most is, is just getting a good infrastructure put in. I think the other place <clears throat> historically, for sure, I think it's getting a little bit better as we get more and more into video, but top lighting is an area that I think a lot of churches are still kind of don't have their heads wrapped around, um, just this fact that we need some light, you know, 50, 60 degrees behind and above really making us three-dimensional. Um, the cameras desperately need it, but even us in a room, we feel better when it's not just a big flat scene uh, up there. And so having dimensionality to the lighting really requires some kind of um, top and backlight. And, and I think that's an area that I often have to do education on um, after infrastructure. Infrastructure is always the first one we've really got to educate people on. Right. So some, are we talking about, this is the kind of lighting you're talking about for a worship service. And I guess the light level has to stay pretty more brighter, more brighter, more bright than in the theater because people want to read their prayer book or, you know, it's, there's not as much difference between the audience lighting and the lighting where the um, priest might be. Maybe. As opposed to other places. Yeah, maybe. I think it depends on the church. I think, um, like the place I was at this morning, if, if their house lights ever got below 50%, like there would probably, there would probably be a meeting sometime mm -hmm. later. 
um, <laughs> where other churches are going complete blackout in the house and doing much more dynamic lighting. And so I, I, I think, again, there's a, a pretty wide range here uh, vibe wise of, of what trying to, what environment they're trying to create. Um, <clears throat> I will say the last probably five years, especially, but really even 10 years, one of the trends I've seen, um, and I love personally, I, I wish this was around when I was designing lighting every week. Um, but that is actually bringing, um, the environment and the color and, and the options that you have in designing your stage out into the house. Um, full color LED house lights to me are one of the coolest elements of being able to design a room um, environmentally because it's when you when you can create this incredibly dynamic look on a stage um, and, and and do all these cool things in front of people, the danger can become it becomes something that everybody watches as opposed to is a part of. And one of the things I love about full color house lighting is whatever incredible look you've created on the stage, you can actually bring it out into the house and, and really kind of envelop everybody in this look. Um, and so I, I think that's a great way to kind of do 360 engagement from a lighting perspective. The other thing I like about it too, is kind of gone are the days where your house light options are, you know, on off or somewhere in between, but now you can actually keep them bright. You can keep, you know, literature or, or bulletins or, or anything readable, but you can do it with a 70% blue and still create environment while not just making it pitch black. So I, I think, I think we've got a lot more tools to work with um, that actually give us the opportunity to, to make engagement um, much more of a thing than we did in the past. Yeah. I think I, I would agree with that totally. You know, when you say church, church is a lot of, th I mean, th th there's, all the styles under the rainbow. I mean, there's still very, you know, Catholic churches and, and more traditional churches that are very, um, very traditional of what you would think, uh, you know, what Hollywood thinks a church is, you know, and then you would also all the way to where churches are like a rock concert. And, um, so, you know, everybody wants something different, like Duke was saying. And yeah, I mean, you know, when you've got, Yes, when you when you have the 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 worship up there, and you got a if you got a band up there, or even you know, even if you've got a just a choir and it's very traditional, uh, most churches now will have the words up on a screen. Um, there are still churches that are reading from in hymnal, but man, I can't remember the last time I was in one, um, <laughs> to be honest, at least somebody who's talking to us. So most, you know, most of the time during worship, it doesn't have to be that bright, but in some traditional churches, they want it to be bright. So people can walk in, so people can see each other, whatever. Um, and the stage is all is color and, you know, nice and all that stuff. But, and then there's other stuff that they, like Duke said, they black the house out. I mean, there are no house lights on and it's all from coming from the stage. Um, Do you set it up so that I can run my house lights through my control console? If, if we have anything to say about it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah if, 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 if we're allowed to design the entire lighting system, uh, you, anything in that, in that auditorium will be controllable through your lighting console. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. I mean, we talk about, I was just at a, in fact, I was just at a very traditional church, uh, the end of last week. And one of the things that I mentioned was house lighting and they were talking about how much they hate their house lighting. And it's a very, 
I mean, this is like a hundred and twenty-year-old building. This is very, you know, that uh, that that very traditional church architecture. And when I ta- brought up full-color house lighting, LED house lighting that would still be in a pendant, it would still look traditional when you wanted it to be. The pastor was he was like, "Really? Wow, yeah, that sounds." amazing. I would, I think I would really like that. And we found that it doesn't really matter the style of the church. You can have full color house lighting that's attached. You know, I mean that the light, the, the theatrical lighting controller takes over during the service. And then when you're done with the services, you know, it just goes back. We, we create systems that, you know, then you just go back to having a button on the wall. And the lights just come on and off mm-hmm. as, as regular. Yep. So, you know, we try to incorporate that as much as possible because a lot of people, when they're building a new building or even retrofitting a building, they'll let the electrical contractor uh, put in whatever. And then the minute they do their first service, they'll wish that they had that they could control it with their theatrical lighting system. So, yeah, we try to we try to circumvent that <laughs> quickly if we can. You also tried to recommend a console that can grow as their needs grow. What do you yeah, recommend? I think, I think as much as we can, um, you know, when, when it comes to consoles, you know, usually one of the first things I'm asking is, you know, what do your people know? Do you have anybody with a lighting background? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think audio consoles are, have enough similarity between them that I can kind of train anybody on any of them. If you know how to run one, I can get you to any of them. Lighting consoles, I still think have a kind of a greater variation to them a little bit. And what your, and let's be honest, um, most lighting designers have a lot more um, uh, particularness about what console they run. Uh, So uh, if they've got anybody on their team with some history running lights, I, I do usually try to at least stay in that same family. So there's familiarity, but um, yeah, we're always looking for kind of, again, what's that, what's that end goal? What's that master plan look like? And and what does your rig look like at the end of the day or at the end of five years or whatever? And, you know, as much as possible, we're trying to uh, put in consoles and infrastructure that will allow them to grow into that as easily as possible. Sometimes there's consoles that make sense that will allow you to kind of grow to that level. Sometimes there isn't. But, you know, there's a there's a good beginner step and it's easy to change that out to an intermediate console at some point. But um, it's definitely part of the equation, big part of the equation. So, Van, have you worked at Crystal Cathedral or places like that that do like massive productions, you know, with ceilings that open and angels that fly in and out and all that? Well, I've never worked at Crystal Cathedral, but I have gone to I've gone to the glory of Christmas and the glory of Easter and know a lot of the people on those teams that did that kind of stuff. Um, I think that although there are many churches that still do that, uh, uh, I'm thinking of three or four in Texas, in Texas alone, that do giant uh, pageants, you know, for Christmas and Easter and fly angels and, you know, have livestock and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I did a lot of that kind of stuff for other organizations when I was, you know, years ago. Um, But, uh, you know, I think people, what people have done is they still do those things in certain organizations. One of the cool things though, that I think has happened though, is people are more, uh, a lot of that stuff in smaller churches was a little bit more dangerous <laughs> back in the day. People were not, you know, hiring riggers and things like that. And now they are. Uh, so that's, oh, that's, a, that's a, most you know, hopefully, and that's a whole nother topic, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, if you do, you know, 
uh, a lot of people go to those things and they go, Oh, I want to do that at my church. But what they don't realize is how the level of professionalism, uh, that is behind the scenes and in, in something that, uh, big, you know, um, we're spoiled here in Southern California because we have a lot of technicians here, professional technicians, because there's a lot of places for them to work here. Um, so it's easier to hire, but I, I, like I said, I've been to many of those and I've done things like that on a smaller scale, but, uh, they can get crazy. There's no doubt about it. So um, in terms of, let's go back to the, the question about creating atmosphere through the lighting design. Do you try to teach them to do that? Or are you hoping that there's someone on their tech team that's already got some design background? Yeah, I think, I think that's part of what we feel out um, while, we're, while we're visioning a system um, is what kind of experience they have, kind of what, what kind of targets they're trying to hit. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, when we're talking about lighting in particular, when we start asking what kind of targets are you trying to hit, what we get is, you know, a bunch of downloaded photos from other churches that they've seen and they liked. And so if they don't have anybody who's got, uh, if, if environmental lighting is something that they're, in, they're really trying to get towards and they don't have anybody who's got any experience with that, then yeah, that's definitely part of the training process for us. And do, do freelance lighting designers take gigs at the churches as well? Like, you know, somebody from Disney might have a church. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, I think larger churches in particular, and I think some of it depends on the region too. Um, you know, a church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa probably doesn't have a lot of freelance lighting designers. Uh, <laughs> whereas uh, right. Southern California, you, you probably don't have too hard of a time finding one. So some of it's kind of a regional thing as well. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I know in California, I know, I know quite a few friends who um, do not work at a church anymore, but they still will design special events and productions right. and whatnot for, for churches. Yeah, and there's a handful of um, people that are friends of ours that specialize in helping churches and come in and we'll do a little bit more. And, you know, we'll, we'll like, they can come in and do a special event, you know, and mm-hmm. you can hire them. And like, let's say we want to do a huge Christmas thing and it's, kind of beyond our technical director and tech team's ability, you know, and, but we have the ability to rent more lighting and special effects and things like that, but we just need help getting there. And, you know, and we, we have many friends, I think between Duke and I, that will do that, you know, on a special, I mean, they're not, you know, they won't do it for free, obviously, but they'll, (laughs) but they'll do it. And, and uh, you know, if churches, there are a lot of churches that are willing to, you know, throw that in their specialty budgets to have people like that come in and, and help them, you know, pull off events. So speaking of budget, do you encourage them to set up a maintenance budget while they're buying their system? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. It, I think that's, that's one of the uh, side messages we're always trying to communicate is remember this stuff is really only designed to last, you know, five to seven or seven to 10 years, depending on what it is, the more moving parts, the shorter it probably should be. Um, but you know, not only do you need to be thinking about ongoing maintenance, but, uh, you really also need to be planning for end of life and replacement, um, from day one, uh, that way your, uh, financial folks are starting to put aside money for replacements down the road. Um, so that, you know, when the fixture dies, not if a fixture dies, when a fixture dies, everybody's not superly shocked and, right. and surprised about it. They're, they're, Oh yeah, we have a plan for this. Yeah. That, that is definitely a problem. Um, Duke and I were tech directors at, you know, church, bunch of different churches. And that was, I would say that 
at least 50% of the churches that I worked at, it, they were, they were shocked when I came to them with a end of life budget on equipment. They were like, well, I thought that stuff lasts 30 years. I'm like, well, no, that's a roof. Everything else is 10 years, <laughs> maybe, you know? Um, but we definitely encourage people, uh, to have some kind of a, a schedule that actually shows when things were purchased and how long they're going to last and also what their replacement cost is going to be, not just for the unit, but also if they have to have somebody come in and actually replace it, there's going to be labor involved. There may be, especially with lighting, there may be some, uh, you know, electrical contractor work that needs to be done because something needs to be changed or whatever. So we try to educate people on, you know, what it's going to take and to make sure that their leadership understands that, you just don't buy it once and it works forever. There, there's a, there has to be, you know, maintenance done and then maintenance too, will make things last longer. And a lot of people don't understand that. So we, we definitely try to encourage that as much as possible as well. Yeah. I guess that's always the question who does the maintenance too. Do you have to get an outside service contractors or somebody inside who knows what they're doing or. That, that is the question. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Cause most, most churches, even when they have a tech director, that tech director is usually working like three jobs inside the church. Um, and, and already, you know, on a normal week, we're working 45, 50 hours a week. So, uh, equipment maintenance is pretty much one of the things that always kind of falls by the wayside, um, uh, in most churches. And, um, you know, and it is what it is. I mean, it's it's an acceptable choice, but at that point, when you're not maintaining your gear, what you are choosing is a likely shorter lifespan. Right. Well, I guess the good news is that when they replace it, they're getting upgraded, more contemporary equipment that will improve their look. So it's not that bad of a deal, right? You hope, um, you hope, or, or you run it into the ground until it's barely functional at all. <laughs> well, and then, and then what, if you don't have a plan, so that, I mean, this is super important that, that I think a lot of people don't think of, if you don't have a plan and then something dies, what you'll tend to do, at least in the church world, this is what I think we've experienced is you'll tend to go, well, I'll just, uh, go to the well, I won't even name the company, but there's a company out there that makes really cheap everything. We'll just go get a, two lights from there because they're only $300 or whatever, because we've got to have them. And then they live with those lights for another two, two years until they die. And so instead of having a plan, so they went from really good lights that were going to, that worked for quite a long time to replacing them with junk because they got into a situation where they were panicked. They were behind the eight ball. Uh, Duke and I go into churches all the time where we can see the bones of a really good lighting system that's 25 years old. And we can tell that 25 years ago, somebody actually thought this out and it was really good. And then systematically it was replaced by junk, <laughs> you know, and, and that doesn't last. And, and when we talk to the people in the church, they'll always say, eh, yeah, it doesn't really work very good. It's kind of terrible, you know? Um, so we, tr we try to change that mindset. So uh, to conclude, is there one line of advice that you would each give to someone who comes to you and says, I need a lighting system? Vision first. It's it, again, let, let vision and, and especially before you even start coming up with numbers, let vision dictate your budget and let your cash dictate your phasing. Um, you may not be able to do it all at once and that's not the point, but don't design your lighting based off of 
whatever money you happen to have in the bank today, because inevitably you're going to under design your lighting system. And when you do have your next round of money to grow your lighting system, you will not have put in the capacity to grow your lighting system. So design the concept based on your vision and then, then let budget and your cash dictate how you phase that in. I would say seek, seek help. Um, you know, uh, most people in churches do not have a, a full-time tech director in church. There's, you know, most churches don't have a full-time tech director, or even a part-time tech director, or even somebody that knows how to do tech all that well. So seek out help, uh, talk to, you know, talk to people who are professionals that have been doing it a long time, uh, find somebody you trust and help, let them help you develop a plan. Like Duke said, have a plan before you just start doing things and you will make way better choices when you have a, when you have a plan than if you just start buying stuff that, that generally never goes well. Well, that all makes perfectly good sense. So thank you both so much, Duke and Van, for sharing that valuable wisdom and your encouragement to those you serve. Um, if someone who's listening today would like to hear um, more about your services, what is the best way to reach you? Our website's probably the best place to go. It's just www.vantageproav.com. Okay, www.vantageproav.com. Vantageproav.com. Sorry, vantageproav.com. Got it. Okay, great. And uh, thank you, everyone, uh, listening to our podcast today. Please make sure to share it with others who may find it helpful. And check back next month to listen in on our next podcast, where we'll have Ben Stapley and Justin Overlander discuss social media importance and growth. Subscribe now to be the first to listen. Thank you for being with us today.